Man Up, a program dedicated to inspiring and helping men live lives of heroic virtue. And now, it's time to Man Up. Welcome to Man Up on Iowa Catholic Radio. We are broadcasting on the Iowa Catholic Radio Network, and I am Joe Stopulus. Today is part one in a four-part episode on the Holy Family Project. This is a project that I was a part of uh, along with the people at Pulse Life Advocates, formerly known as Iowans for Life, Maggie DeWitty and Tom Coiner. And the three of us basically would sit down every week and, and have a discussion with a guest on the importance of the Holy Family. Uh, specifically, kind of an overview for this first episode and then diving into uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, each of them, and how they uh, how they are the model of obviously the Holy Family, but the Holy Family is today and how we can recapture that. If we can recapture that, how we can change the world. So let's start in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy Lent, one of my favorite times of the year, as you know. Uh, this Lent, uh, you know, halfway through Exodus 90 for those of us doing that. And if you're not, you know, you can always join in and do the, uh, there's an Exodus Lenten version as well. Uh, but let's let's take time. Let's take time to, to quiet ourselves. <clears throat> I know me personally, one of the things that I'm going to be adding into my, my Exodus routine is is detachment from my phone. I think I just, I just spent so much time just, you know, looking at it, just checking it for whatever, just to check for emails and stuff. And so I'm making a much more concerted effort in that respect. So finding ways to slow down, manufacturing detachment from that, specifically that technology, but all technology, uh, that I find myself so distracted in this world and, and entering into more quiet, more contemplation in this Lenten season. We're going to head to a short break. When we return, uh, will be part one of the Holy Family Project. Welcome back to Man Up on Iowa Catholic Radio. This is part one in a four-part episode on the Holy Family, the Holy Family Projects from Pulse Life Advocates. You can go to pulseforlife.org to check out the entire episode. Welcome to the Holy Family Project. My name is Tom Quiner, and I'm the president of the board of Pulse Life Advocates, formerly known as Iowans for Life. Glad to have you here to talk about this this incredible topic of holy families and why that's something we should aspire to. I'd like to introduce uh, a couple of um, our guests here immediately to talk about this and uh, just to give us a comment on Monsignor Frank Chidel's talk that we just heard a few minutes ago. First, I'd like to turn to my left, Maggie DeWitty. Tell us a little bit about you. So, yes, Maggie DeWitty. I'm the executive director of Iowans for Life, and I've been there about 11 years. Um, Prior to that, I worked at the Diocese of Des Moines uh, in Catholic Charities as the adoption coordinator. My husband and I have been married for 25 years, have four children, and are parishioners at St. Francis. Um, I just really enjoyed Monsignor's homily. A couple things that stuck out to me was that when he talked about Jesus not only inviting us, but empowering us to mission territory. You know, that really struck 
accord with me. And also just talking about how he um, sets up the fact that this lie that we have, that we have complete dominion over our body, that we have complete control, and that not realizing that really our life is a gift. You know, it's a gift from God. And we don't have that control, and it's a gift. And looking at that from that perspective in terms of a holy family really struck a chord with me. Okay. Thanks, Peggy. To my right, Joe, tell us who you are. Yeah, my name is uh, Joe Stopulus. Uh, I am a, a kind of a lot, of, a lot of things. I'm a father. I'm a father of five. I'm a husband. I'm a businessman. I'm a radio show host on IO Catholic Radio. So I think I check a lot of boxes. It's kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, and so I've, I've been involved in Catholic ministry here for about 10 years or so, men's ministry, various things. And uh, the Holy Family Project is important to me because, you know, uh, my name is Joseph, for one. So I'm one third, one third of the, uh, the project. And this year of St. Joseph has been special for me. I've had a lot of opportunities to talk on St. Joseph and reflect on St. Joseph. And he's always been to me kind of this missing part of the, you know, he'd never been, the, the, the spotlight's never been on him before. So it's been exciting for me. And Monsignor's uh, homily, he kept going back to this this faithfulness, the fearlessness, uh, and you know the fruitfulness of Mary. It hit me a lot with uh, the fearlessness of Jesus. How we and this is really we might get further into this. We need to be fearless in defending the family, and we need to have the faithfulness to the gospel. But we really need to be fearless in defending the family. And I think that is what you know. If people are timid, if we're timid, we're not going to be able to do it. And the the answer to the problems in facing the church and the world today are holy families. And I can see that in my own life. And I understand that it's not easy and it's going to take fearlessness to do that. And so I kept resonating with me over and over. And he also talked about this, this idea of a prophet sparking ignition. I think we are, we're all called to be prophets. We're all called to be prophets in our own way and sparking that ignition in the, in the culture today around the Holy Family. So I think it's a great project, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, good to have you here. And we will be uh, delving deeper into some of those things you just mentioned, Joe, in episodes to come. So there'll be a total of four of these shows that we're going to talk about. Um, before I introduce our guest, the bishop here today, I would uh, like to just share with you a real quick uh, story from me. So I, I'm the eldest member of this conversation today. And I remember in 1968, there was a book that came out called The Population Bomb. It was written by Paul Ehrlich. And uh, I was a sophomore at Roosevelt High School in Des Moines, a secular uni- uh, uh, high school. And this caught on like crazy. The population bomb. They were having talks going on. They were talking about uh, how we are going. Uh, Ehrlich prophesied that we would have people literally starving in the streets by the 1980s. We were going to run out of food, oil, gas, all commodities basically that the world was going to hell in a handbasket because of overpopulation. Now, he missed the mark. Interestingly, there was another important document that came out within months of population bomb, and it was known as Humanae Vitae. And um, I just... Uh, Pope Paul, and, and I was a Protestant in those days, so I was clueless to this. And needless to say, there were not people going classroom to classroom talking about Humanae Vitae. <laughs> so I would like to just one more, uh, bring Maggie back one more time before we introduce the bishop. Uh, what were some of the things that the Pope was predicting? 
Well, you know, I, I've often said that he, he wrote this in 1968, but if you read it, you'd be thinking that this was today. I mean, that's how prophetic some of the things that he had written in Humana Vitae. And just if we look at our culture, all of his predictions have become completely true. You know, we, we talk about a loss of morality. We talk about um, lack of respect for women. Um, and that and that radiates through our culture. And then this idea of overpopulation. I mean, he addresses that. And um, and we, we could know that's completely false, given what we know in terms of our society today. So everything that we've seen is this moral decline. And as a result of one of the biggest topics in this is contraception and birth control and how that led to a decline in morality and, and marriage and family. So on that note, and since fruitfulness was one of the touch points from Monsignor's talk, I'd like to turn to our guest here, Bishop William jo- Johnson of the Diocese of Des Moines. And I guess a, a starting question I'd have for you as, as relates to Humanae Vitae is, why is the church even authorized to weigh in on such a subject? And I say that especially in light of some of the, the scandals that have um, you know, so afflicted the church in recent decades. Thank you, Tom, and thanks for the opportunity to be with you today. And uh, oh, I really think that, you know, the church as the God that we proclaim is a friend of humanity and wants humans to realize themselves and their destiny, that God wants friendship with us in so many ways, and that our own uh, bodiliness and all that we are, our capacity for love and our capacity to be generative in some ways, these are never to be seen as liabilities that we want to dominate and, and control or that we become wary of. You know, uh, Joe spoke of fear, you know, and the population bomb was really trying to, to stir fear of us, fear of our own fertility and fear of the capacity to create civilizations and societies that would uh, mesh with our world, you know, in a, in a region where, you know, agriculturally in the World Food Prize, we know human ingenuity and human uh, industry can create these things, but our own humanity is something to be stewarded. And so I think Paul VI, in that ferment of the 60s, and all the things that were happening and the upheavals that were going on there as well, even within the Catholic Church in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, there were those who were relying only on science in a kind of a, a more dismal way, you know, the economics, <laughs> the dismal science, some of the lampooned it, but uh, no, that the... This uh, sense, again, that at the heart of society is the family. It takes priority, and that God's plan, naturally through creation, but then elevated in this way in our supernatural destiny in Christ, is to to show us that our desires are not uh, some hoax that God has uh, visited upon us. And so to befriend our own humanity again, and to hold up that the church's competence that Jesus, who understood humanity very well, the church expert in humanity, not in that it knows all the fine-grained details in each and every possible discipline, but has this holistic view, mind and heart, our emotions, our reason, all of these are to be integrated. Spouses, and then and as they communicate to their children as well, uh, how it becomes the heart of everything, that the, the family becomes the way of the church, as St. John Paul uh, uh, would later say. Okay. You know, one of the things in Humana Vitae is it says that, you know, marriage is a collaboration with God. 
You know, I really like that, that we're inviting him to collaborate with us in our marriage, in our generation, in our procreation. But so often in marriage in recent years has been this idea that I give everything to my spouse except my fertility mm-hmm. because we want this idea of control, mm-hmm. you know, and what an illusion that is. And, and how do we look at what are some of those underlying factors that are leading people to this lie of control that, that control over their fertility? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, uh, that sense, you know, and we all, I think, in our heart of hearts, desire a kind of unconditional love. And as you say, when we begin to rule things out, but that we stake our prospect of happiness on a certain material level of, of uh, sufficiency, which usually is, is never enough, really. And so trying to chart a course where all, everything will fall in line and that's such that uh, we cease to, to be receptive, grateful, and full of wonder at the capacity that's there. You know, I think uh, any set of spouses sees their children and says, wow, this is beyond any of us, you know, and the very word procreation, that we're standing before something that's a mystery greater than ourselves. Yes, we lend our humanity, our free choices in all of this, but that God brings something that transcends anything of our own, uh, what we supply. And, uh, and so I think uh, to, to cancel out that fertility is to say, um, you know, what you might offer me as gift is going to be encroachment on my freedom. It's going to curtail or delimit my material satisfactions. It's going to order my life in which uh, suddenly the options are de- decreasing. Of course, you know, our freedom is found, you know, in, in the commitments and in giving ourselves over to things greater than ourselves. Just as Monsignor said with Mary and Joseph, to be receptive to a plan that's proposed to them and not simply imposed. And I think sometimes... We lose sight that, that God really wants good for us, too. You know, we begin to think we're in competition with God, and our fertility becomes the, the uh, bargaining chip or, or the, the point of contention between us. You know, it's interesting. Manavice speaks of spouses as, as ministers, not masters of God's design. And it kind of f- flows from what you're saying. Why is that important? Because I think the minute we uh, see ourselves as masters or the measure of what is good and everything else, I think the more we begin to downsize and, and, and thwart the possibilities. You know, we've heard in the scriptures in Mark's gospel, what man thinks impossible, God makes possible in this way. And so I think uh, the ways in which then, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 chant, the attempt to dominate, to regulate births. And I think we're not saying that couples have to have as many children as they possibly can. Not that five kids is too many. Yeah, you know, no, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, and, and how many a generation ago, you know, families, 10 or 15 or more children. I mean, so we're not that far removed from that. Now to a kind of a population dearth, you know, where the, the negative population grows. So, so I think you know, this sense of, of having to genuflect to something greater than ourselves, uh, that sense of wonder. It's really a paradox, isn't it, that sometimes those who are most strongly advocates for contraception and all it entails, likely abortion and other things as well, uh, are sometimes the most strident activists calling for our, our sensitivity to the environment, conscious of global climate change. Well, that's saying that, that nature has dynamics uh, that transcend our own human industry and that we should be respectful of that. But then how we turn the tables and turn it upside down when we look at our own humanity, which is the greatest natural gift that can't be surpassed on this earth. 
you know, you touched on, used the word economics earlier. And one of the things that has struck me in this conversation on Humanae Vitae is how sociologists and economists today are seeing the validity of Humanae Vitae without giving any credit to it or wanting to back away from a culture of contraception, which leads to abortion. And I want to give you a quote here. This is kind of interesting because this is an economist, and you may note of Janet Yellen, because she's the current Secretary of the Treasury and former um, Secretary of um, the Federal Reserve, Chairman of the the Federal Reserve Board. And she and her husband, George uh, Akerlof, who is a Nobel economist, they wrote this in a book recently, or in the uh, Quarterly Journal of Economics. Before the sexual revolution, women had less freedom. But men were expected to assume responsibility for their welfare. Today, women are more free to choose, but men have afforded themselves the comparable option. If she is not willing to have an abortion or use contraception, the man can reason. Why should I sacrifice myself to get married? By making the birth of the child the physical choice of the mother, the sexual revolution has made marriage and child support a social choice of the father. Now, Mary Eberstadt is someone who has written extensively on Humana Vitae, and she has pointed out how the sexual revolution has impacted women the most. Can you build on that at all? And Mary is someone we're both fond of in terms of her ability to diagnose the culture and to enlist uh, the, the social science to, to, to make the case for, for her arguments in this way. Yeah, as you were alluding, the prophetic oppression character of Humanae Vitae, the feminization of poverty, single-parent homes, you know, that women, yes, uh, feeling compelled to work outside the home. It's not always a free choice for them because they're wondering when their husband might abandon them. You know, and I think the, the playing into that, again, as Humanae Vitae said, you know, the kind of distortion of our own human relationships that the arts and media, television and things can bring about, too. And again, trying to kind of, you know, redirect our desires and our sense of what is normal. And so, you know, the kind of anger, you know, the, the Me Too movement, all the things that kind of followed from that, I think are seeing that, uh, you know, the that... Men, almost by a, uh, a, a curious default, have almost claimed greater dominion in all this in a in a, an unhealthy way, uh, because of the honest being put on the woman to uh, to uh, to not be receptive to birth, not to realize that kind of natural maternal desire to to give life and to to cherish life and nurture it. Uh, there's one more thing I'd like to build on, Bishop. Um, and again, this is Mary uh, Eberstadt had, you know, alluded to this, um, this idea of how loneliness is rampant in society. And, and it's just as a way of setting this up for you, um, you know, I don't want to get us mired down in statistics, but basically the replacement birth, birth rate or the fertility rate is below replacement levels in the United States. But in Japan... It is really low. And there was an article in the New York Times. And just to show you a future that we're facing as we as we don't replace ourselves with enough children. This is what the New York Times had in a few years ago writing about what was going on 
in Japan. They said there's 4,000 lonely deaths a week. 4,000 lonely deaths a week. Each year, some of Japan's elderly died without anyone knowing, only to be discovered after their neighbors caught the smell. The first time it happened, or at least the first time it drew national attention, the corpse of a 69-year-old man living near Mrs. Ito had been lying on the floor for three years without anyone noticing his absence. His monthly rent and utilities had been withdrawn automatically from his bank account. Finally, after his savings were depleted, the 2000, in 2000, the authorities came to the apartment and found his skeleton near the kitchen, its flesh picked clean by maggots and beetles just a few feet away from his next-door neighbors. So, loneliness is something that faces us. Tell us, you know, from your experience as a bishop in, in reading Humanae Vitae, um, what do we do about it? Uh, what are your reactions? That's a very graphic it's, it's example. It's horrible. It's horrendous. You know, kinda, you know the, the darker part of the first half of Advent is kind of evident there, and, you know, that, that kind of sense of this family. You know, this is something I think uh, Holy Father Pope Francis has really picked up on, the, the need for the bond of generations, that we're all longing for that look of love. We're longing for someone to be completely present to us. And I think the, with the fewer births, uh, individuals not getting married till later in life, that sense of you know the wisdom that we receive, that as Pope Francis says, we're all in the canoe together. Some are paddling, but some are offering their wisdom and guidance. But that receptivity, that to honoring your father and mother, that God's uh, you know in, in commandment from the uh, original covenant that He formed with people. So so this sense of in generativity, each of us came into this world totally dependent. Each of us will go out with a great dependency, but without those that network of relationships to to really nurture and, and give rise to that. So uh, someone like Father Peter John Cameron is, is counseled, and I, in my time at, on the college campus, you know, the rise of therapy pets for young people, this loneliness that they're experiencing, you know, part of it is aided and embedded because our attention is always gazed on our devices, you know, and rather than truly looking at each other and relating to each other. And so the dog is always turned toward us and looking. It's a kind of surrogate for that which, you know, I love dogs, you know. Let's not speak about some other pets, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, yeah, as a compliment. But, you know, we humans are meant for each other, and God intends this. And so without that, that the bond of generation and, and that sense of, of oh my gosh, goodness, you know, that the, the unconditional care and love that a child can offer a grandparent or others, you know, there's there's an ache that nothing else can fill. And I think it's proven in the fact that today's society, especially in America, we have more wealth than ever before in any any society materially, and yet the depression rates are at all time high. And somehow humanity Vitae has predicted all of this. I mean, I don't think it could have possibly predicted the amount of wealth we would have, and the amount that of food and consumption and and the technology that we have. Yet somehow we're missing this such important part of which is human. Society, which is this communication, actual human communication, and to point like Humanavite has somehow realized this. I had like in 1968 that loneliness would become a part of of the human condition, uh, and so that's another part of his predictions in the Catholic Church's view in society, being proven by sociology, being proved by study after study that the Catholic Church's vision of the family is is correct. It is it is generative. It is faithful. It is fruitful. It is all these things. And it ultimately leads to happiness, which is what we're all striving for. 
And, and, and if I just inject, I don't yeah. want to steal it. But, but that you know, and 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 you as married people, you know, as much as your your vocation is to be toward your spouse, your your spouse does not satisfy all your needs. You know, there's an ache there that that, that we're meant to transcend that and go out of ourselves, couples together, calling each other to this, and that uh, that. Uh, you know the guidance and the and the the marital virtue of chastity leads to a charity which flows out and over and so with that discipline of any disciple to 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 realize that gift and uh the loneliness is is not itself to be a, a harbinger of of something awry but is not then to be reinforced it's to pro- propel us outside of ourselves into the community to form communion we're coming down the wire here. We have just a minute or so left. Do one of you have a final question you'd like to ask the bishop before we bring this to a close? I would say, as you're looking... Be you know, merciful. Uh, no, no. <laughs> what, what is it? No, give him a hard at, one. As you look at the family and you look at the, the future of where the church is going, it is the, the vision of the church. What do you see as the way for us to reclaim this most important family, uh, the aspect of the family in society today? Well, I think that uh, you know we want to continue to accompany young couples. I think uh, you know with the Pontifical Council on Laity and the Family that early on this sense of sexuality and dating that you know in the you know children are ten, eleven, twelve that this is this is what this is about pointing them to vocation beyond yourself and accompanying young couples after they are married and not just in the marriage preparation so that they really have that bond the resiliency that un, the uh, inevitable challenges and crises that they can pass over through all of these. And uh, I think celebrating that all that we're about in this way. So uh, much more uh, that uh, could be said, but that, those are some thoughts that arise. Thank you for tuning in to this excerpt from the Holy Family Project from Pulse Life Advocates. We will head to a break and be right back. Welcome back to Man Up on Iowa Catholic Radio. Uh, it was a pleasure to be asked to be a part of this great project, the Holy Family Project through Pulse Life Advocates, uh, formerly known as Iowans for Life. You can head to pulseforlife.org, pulseforlife.org, and check out the entire episode. They're being released once a week right now. I believe Sunday nights is the time they're being released. Um, again, very professionally done. Uh, you have Monsignor Chido's homily, his sermon, and then you have us, the panel, whomever it is each week. Obviously, this one was with Bishop Jones and discussing it. Uh, and the content's great. And you know, when he asked me, when, when Tom Coiner asked me to be a part of this, you know, I was I see so much in the vision, which is namely that we can only save the world, we can only save society in the matter that we are. Saving the family, you know, as the family goes, so society goes. And I truly believe that. I truly believe that uh, it is the most important unit uh, that we have. It's the most important thing we can do to foster, to foster civility, to foster education, to foster uh, any of the good things that we want in the world today needs to start in the home and need to start with the family, the most basic building block of society. And so, this idea of launching. A project that the entire goal of it was to help educate and show the importance of the family. Obviously, I was completely on board with that. So, would love for you to go to pulseforlife.org. You can even sign up, and they'll they'll email you when the episodes are coming out, and, and please share them, uh, get the word out, and you know the great work they're doing over there at Pulse Life Advocates. Thanks for joining me today on Man Up on Iowa Catholic Radio. I am Joe Stopulus. It is time to man up. Man Up, inspiring men to live out their call to holiness. 